if you want to open to 1 Corinthians 13, that's where we're going to be this morning. And, you know, at camp we talked a lot about the simple gospel. We, we looked at things like simple, the simple power of faith that we have in God. And one of the things that we're going to look at actually this morning, but every morning all the way through the rest of the school year, we're going to be taking an extended just amount of time looking at God's love. Um, it's going to be completely focused on him. And as you can see, even just from that testimony that was shared above, just the power of what happens, you know, the turning point. Did you see that? It wasn't when she came to church and learned that she was a sinner. The power came when she walked in the door and she said, I was loved. And she even referred to the church as really loving her and referred to her friends um, who were parting with her as people who just accepted her. And there's a major difference with that. And there's major power with God's love because there's nothing more powerful than it. Information by itself can't change you and it can't change the world. Being informed, being right, having all the knowledge in the world cannot change you. And it can't change the world that's around you. It's God's love that changes you and it changes the world around you. You know, Jesus didn't change people by informing them of how wrong they were. Jesus changed people by loving them. And when people look back at Christ and they look back at his people, they don't declare, man, they really just showed how wrong I was. Man, that's what got me. No, that's not what's said. What's said is, man, Jesus loves me and his people love me too. Right where I'm at right now, not tomorrow, Right now, weaknesses included. It's a defining characteristic of Christians when you talk about love. They're loved. They're people that absolutely know they are adored and loved by the Savior. And they carry that around. They walk differently because they know they're loved. And they'll always be loved. And that changes the way that you live your life when you know that you're absolutely loved and adored by your Father in heaven. But not only that, it not only changes the way that they walk around, but it changes the way that they love other people. Because they know that they're called to show that same love, and you can't give what you're not getting. See, God's love has a way of working in us and through us, around us. It's very, very powerful, which is why God intended something like God, his love for us to be founded on. See, love is different from everything else because... You don't enter into learning about God's love and then enter out of it and move on. You always enter into God's love and you remain there forever. You're always learning about love because it's who we are as, as a Christian. I remember one time, um, actually in our college group about four years ago, and there was um, we were having a meeting and we were talking about where God was taking the group, what we felt like the Holy Spirit was leading us in. And someone made the suggestion... Um, we should talk about God's love. And, and a person just, just said, we did that. We did that. Let's move on. And I can remember even just the tone of that person's, vo that bleh, that person's voice. And even that just, you never move on. The minute that you think that you can accomplish God's love or master God's love is the minute that you really don't understand it. Because God's love is something completely different than that. Love isn't optional as a Christian. It's not one of many things that you have. It's the very definition you are as a Christian. There is no such thing as a hateful Christian. There's no such thing as that. 
Because to say that you follow Christ is to assume an incredible and radical love that you both know and that you show to others. If you're in 1 Corinthians 13, just to give you a little background, this is a, this is a church that was, you know, um, probably as sexually immoral as you could imagine. Um, and Paul is someone who's instructing them about following Christ. And he talks about all these spiritual gifts, actually, in the chapter before. But then he gets to love. And this is what he says about love in this chapter. It's in chapter 13. It says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. That's what he says in response to teaching everyone about things like faith and miracles, um, all the spiritual gifts that God has for us. But then he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And this is what he says. If I speak in the tongues or the languages of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge of the universe, but do not have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, I want to reread that. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, and another version says surrender to the flames. If I give my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. I love this This portion of scripture because it explains that love is something you can't overlook while trying to believe in Jesus. And no matter what you believe in, no matter if you can speak in the tongues of men or of angels, if you have the gift of prophecy and you can fathom all the mysteries and knowledge of the universe, if you have a faith that can literally look at Mount Hood and say move, and Mount Hood moves, and yet, and if you are able to suffer like anyone else for the sake of Christ, if you're able to surrender, and yet, and yet, and yet, you do not love, it means nothing. Because Christ is love. And God is love. It's not just what he's about. It is who he is. Love is a person. And we embody that person. And we are filled by him. You know, I think a verse like this even just speaks a lot to how being right, having everything, doesn't necessarily mean that you're loving. Because in this, you see someone who's spiritually gifted, someone you would look at and say, they have it all. This is what it means to be a Christian, have a faith that can move mountains, to be able to fathom all mysteries, to be able to prophesy. But to be a Christian is to love. Being right doesn't mean that you're always being loving. In fact, that's a great question to ask yourself about anything that you do. Isn't just, am I right? Am I right? Am I right? The best question to ask yourself is, am I loving? Am I being loving in this, even if I am right, or even if I'm wrong? In fact, I would say that Christianity probably, just as a whole, in our, in our country and in our culture, this is where we have fallen hardest. And that's something that we own as the body of Christ. I remember a story about um, a debate that happened in California about five years ago, it was, it was a big deal, and it was a big deal because a renowned theologian, which is someone who studies and understands God, 
okay, went in a debate against a worldly renowned atheist, someone who doesn't believe in the Lord. And so they, they built it up like, here is someone who's going to prove God, and here's someone who's not going to prove the Lord. And so they went at this debate one night, packed house for it, and as it's described, this is what it said. In terms of the information, in terms of the facts, the theologian, the, the one who supported God, slayed the atheist. There was way too much evidence to show that God existed, that God was here, that God, you know, was in the world around us. And yet, they did this. This is, I found this so, so interesting. They polled everyone that was there of who do you want to support after the debate. Who do you, not necessarily who's right, but who do you want to side with. And even though the theologian won the debate clearly, everybody sided with the atheist. And as it was described, this is how it was described. The theologian was a jerk. He was an absolute jerk to the other person. He bullied him during the debate. And even though he was completely right, there was no love. And there was nothing to draw people to that because it's, yeah, but you're a jerk. And so even with all the information in the world, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're representing Christ. I think when you look at a, a verse like 1 John 4, it says whoever doesn't love their brother or sister doesn't know God is what it says. And then it says this, because God is love. If you don't love the people around you, you don't know God. It's impossible. It's not, it's not a condemnation. It's just you don't know him because God's very being is love. Everything that the Lord is, everything that he is, is love. 1 John 3.16, it says, this is what love is. Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and we ought to do the same for our brothers and sisters. The very definition of love is Jesus and everything that Jesus did, which is why when you get into the word, when you just make space for God, you're learning about love. You can look at everything that Jesus did. You can look at every word that Jesus said and, that, and attest that to true love. The times when Jesus was healing people, he was loving them. The times when he was honest with the Pharisees, he was loving them. When he turned over the tables in the temple, he was loving them. That's what love looks like. And you know, I think that's where love becomes our defining characteristic, that if someone were to look in this room at us and to, and to sum up one word of what defines us by just watching the way that we not only interact with one another but with the world, it would be this. Man, they love. They love people. Jesus, in John 13, at the Last Supper with his disciples, he says this in verse 34. He says, go ahead and write this verse down because we're going to spend a lot of time in it. It's John 13, 34 through 35. He says, a new command that I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, as Christ, ooh, ooh, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then it says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You hear that? The only way that they're going to know that we belong to God, not just that we go to church, but that we truly belong to God, which we do, is if you love one another. Not any of the other stuff. This is the one thing that matters right here. It's love. And I, I love that Jesus, he actually addresses this just to his disciples and saying, you guys as a family need to love one another. 
the way that you love one another and the way that you care for one another looks different from the way the world cares for one another. And when someone walks into the midst and they, they're in the middle of this exchange of love between friends and family, they see something different and they see something and experience something different. You know, that's even the picture of the Trinity because you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And even before the earth was created, they existed in this perfect, loving relationship with one another. That's how they're three in one. And it's that love that they shared with one another, that love that existed before the earth or before any of us did, that we enter into. It's like that love is drawn out and it's put into us to be able to share in the exact same way. And in a sense, when you walk around this world, it's like you're surrounded by the Trinity. You're in the midst of this love. And that's the love that we share with one another. But, you know, it's hard because things have changed. And sometimes the church, sometimes us, I fail at loving people. Raise your hand if you fail at loving people. Hey-oh, like, join the club. The three, you know what's, this is a hard thing, but it's a very, it's a very sobering fact. They pulled 90% of people outside of the church, and they pulled 80% of within the church of what would be one word to describe Christians right now in our culture. Not necessarily what they should be, but right now. And the words that they came up with were gay bashing, that they're gay bashers. And then the next three were judgmental, hypocritical, and too involved in politics. Those were the words that were used to describe, which are far from love. And that's something that we as leaders, we take upon ourselves. Is that us? And we look at ourselves because we never want to be that. That doesn't represent Christ. But you know what's hard about that? I think this is the hard thing about it. That's reflective of the way that we think God looks at us. Because the love that you show to other people is reflective of the God that loves us. And so those very same people who give off that vibe most likely think that's how God feels about them. That's a tragedy because that's not how God feels about them, which is why it's so important to learn about the Lord's love. The more you learn about Jesus, the more you learn about love. How many of you guys want to learn about God's love? Go ahead and just give me a nod or, or a hand up, you know. Amen? Amen. So with that, I think we can establish that God's love is pretty important, not only just to be informed about, but more importantly, be transformed by personally. Because I think everyone in this room wants to be transformed by God's love day in and day out. But let me ask you something. And this is, a, this is a good question to wrap your head around. Who defines love for you? Who defines love for you? I'm not asking you whether or not you love. But I'm asking you who defines it. Who's the one who gets to say to say, when you say I love someone... What, is that, what does that mean? Everyone says that they love someone. Because I, I've never met a person that's like, well, how do you feel about people? And it's like, um, you know, my goal is just to hate people, you know? Like, no, everyone has said that, and everyone calls on love. In fact, it even says in Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says this. It says, many claim to have unfailing love. Proverbs 20, verse 6, it says, many claim to have unfailing love. But a faithful man who can find, everyone claims to have this incredible love. Nobody says, hey, I love you, but my love's cheap. You know, like no one says that. But who's faithful? Who has, who has the true love of God? 
I met with, uh, with a college student about a month ago, and he's, uh, he's someone who grew up in this church, and when we met, he just opened up. He'd been really struggling with his faith. He'd been really struggling with the Lord, um, even just questioning whether he could even follow the Lord anymore. And he had, he had all these doubts, and he had all these questions. And I just remember, I just felt like God put it on my heart to ask him, is the, is the Bible your authority? Where do you go to to answer your questions? Who has the final say when it comes to your questions? Is it you, or is it God? Is it his word? And he said, right now it's not the Bible, is what he said. He says, I'm trying to answer my own questions, and I'm stuck in this place of doubt. You know, with love, it's exactly the same. It's true with anything, really, because if you're trying to determine the rules and the standards for which you follow God, or even God's character, you will be left in confusion. We've been alive for just a couple years, you know, on this world. We don't have understanding. We don't have wisdom. We have opinions. Lots of opinions, you know. And that's nothing to found our lives on. What we can found our lives on is the word. Which is why it's so important to be founded and to be in this. And not only to be informed by it, but to found your life on this. Because this is true understanding. This is truly God's word that has the final say. And that the rock by which your life is built on. Um, you know, in verses 4 through 8 of this, Paul begins to describe what true love looks like. And if you want to look, in verse 4 it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And it always protects, and it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And at the beginning of verse 8, it says, love never fails. Elisa, if you want to come up and grab that sign that I told you about. You know, in this world that's around us, we have an enemy and this enemy has been coming around, and he is going around right now, and he's been planting all these seeds about what fake love looks like. I think the best way to describe it is real love and fake love, because there are a million fake loves out there, but there's only one real love. And so, this is Elisa. Everyone say hi, Elisa. Who? Here's, how, here's a good way to describe it. So this is Elisa's heart just in front of us. It kind of looks like a Jeopardy board, actually. It's like, I'll take exploits for two. <laughs> you know, let's say this is her heart, and this is her understanding of love. So someone walks up to her and says, God loves you, Elisa. And you're called to love others, and you're like, Jeff, Jeffrey. I've been going to church my whole life. Of course I've heard about God's love. I can sing the songs. See? I have a definition of love in front of me. Come on, Jeff. God's love. Love God, love others. And yet God looks at it and he says, but look at your definition of love. 
And here's something where you're like, God, I understand what love is. And he, something happens in your life where someone exploits you or maybe you exploit someone else. And God says, that's not loving. Love protects. That's what love looks like. And you're like, oh, okay. And then later on, maybe you think expecting others to die on a cross for you. Love, people will love me and people will go the distance from me. That's what love looks like. That's how I know real love. And God says, no, actually, dying on a cross for others, that's what love looks like. You will die on a cross for other people. That's what love actually looks like. Maybe you think, I need to be served for my love rather than being humble and serving yourself. You want to hold it a little higher? I won't make a short joke. But I just did. What can I get out of it? That's what love is. Whether it could be anything. It could be anything spiritual. It could be a conversation. It could even be sexual. What, what am I getting out of this? What am I getting out of this? And God says, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Consistency. It's not about you. Has to come easy. That's not true. Patience. Living up to expectations. I think you guys understand it by now. I have to live up to all these expectations. My dad won't love me unless I live up to expectations. And yet God says, no, being love is being fully accepted. Whenever you feel like caring versus being selfless all the time. Airing your own wisdom, personal favorite. No, no, listening to others. That's what real love looks like. Remembering how others have failed you and holding them to uh, a table, a scoreboard. And God says, no, you keep no record of wrongs. And after time, you begin to see your heart has just changed in front of you. Little by little, you've allowed God to define your own heart. And now it looks like this. You protect people. You die on a cross for others. You're humble and serving. You're consistent. You're patient. You're being fully accepted right now, selfless. You're listening to others, and you keep no record of wrongs. And this heart could go on and on and on. Amen? Thank you. Give it up for Elisa. Guys, we just did a lot of work on her heart. Give it up for her one more time. You know, and that's, that's the picture of how God wants to address our heart because he does little by little. You could even look at it the way of renovating maybe like a house. I don't know if any of you have ever done construction maybe with your parents or with friends. But to renovate an entire house is something you can't do overnight. It's little by little. It's this little work, and it's a lot of different work. It's, it's carpentry. It's, it's work. It's painting. It's, it's design. It's all these things that go together. But over time, the house begins to change, and it genuinely changes, and it's sustaining because it actually changed. You try to change a house overnight, it's going to look pretty, pretty bad. Not gonna, it's going to look pretty cheap. But the love that God wants to teach us is little by little. He wants to define the little things. How do you talk to your friends? Maybe your language with your friends is one of those things that God just goes, nope, this is what love looks like when you're talking to your friends. How do you talk to your parents? How do you treat your parents? And God goes, nope, actually, I, I just want to change this. And ultimately, whatever it may be, it's a reflection of how you see God sometimes. That's where it could all go back to because the way that you treat others is the way that you think God is treating you. And so if you feel like you're exploiting, maybe you're angry at other people, that they're not meeting your expectations, maybe you think in your heart you're not meeting God's. And that's where the beginning and the change starts. Many of us for that heart, maybe you never even knew love could look like that. Maybe you've grown up in a house or in a place where 
love. Just you go, I think I know what love is, but you can't, you can't be filled by what you don't know. Can everyone just nod? It's like you don't know what you don't know, right? So here's, here's a perfect example of that. When I got the job as the junior high pastor, I met an eighth grader. He was like, hey, we should go out to breakfast. We should hang out. And so he was like, okay. So we went to a restaurant. We went to Applebee's. Forgive me, Lord. Applebee's is not the most upstanding restaurant. But let me tell you something. This kid had never been in a restaurant before. He was not from America, and his family did not have a lot of money. And so it was the first time he had ever been in a sit-down restaurant, and he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by Applebee's, probably the first person in U.S. history to be overwhelmed by an Applebee's. And yet, honestly, he was about to cry, because, and he had no idea what was happening. It was just serving food to me in these portions and, and water whenever I want. It was something he hadn't experienced before, and he was overwhelmed by it. You know, love can be similar to that because you're just, you're surviving on whatever, maybe McDonald's or whatever, and you're like, this is how you're supposed to eat. This is how I'm supposed to eat. And then God pours out this completely different love, and you go, whoa, that's a lot greater than what I've ever experienced from any person in this world or anything I've ever seen on my phone. You know, for me personally, I grew up in a home that was, that was so performance expected, especially when it came to sports. I can remember, man, I, I got top five in the Northwest. I remember winning a match and getting top five in the Northwest for all men. Coach approached me and said, I'm accepting you onto the Portland State team. You want to know how my, um, how my coach responded? He yelled at me. And he yelled at me so bad because... I had not gone far enough in the tournament. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. And so all I told myself is I'm going to do better next time. I'm going to be, I'm going to work harder and I'm going to keep getting better and better. And it was until my sophomore year of college, you want to know what the turning point in it was? When I started attending a college group and I realized they didn't care about my results. They loved me just for who I was. It was this aha moment. It was this restaurant moment. Oh, my gosh, I've never felt love like this before. And you're sitting there like, well, you're done. <laughs> you know, like, but let me tell you something. What's your restaurant? Where is it in your heart right now? Because you, maybe you're like, man, I can't relate to that. And then you go home to a house where you feel like you're under your dad's scrutiny or your brother's scrutiny. Maybe you go home and you feel like, I have to get these grades in order to matter, to expect or or maybe you even just go home and this is what love is. It's sending inappropriate snaps to someone else. That's what love is. Man, I have to just keep giving. I have to keep giving in order to be loved. And you know what? God wants to redefine that for you. And in this series, we're going to talk about real love against fake love. That's going to be kind of the focus. And we're going to spend a lot of time in it. And so, um, Holly, if you want to put up just the subjects that we're going to be going through right off the bat. Next week, we're going to start looking at sex, and we're going to look at lust. We're going to look at marriage, divorce, dating. Um, we're going to dive into probably the most just subjects regarding sex, because a lot of times, we think that's what love is, and we have this marred idea of what love looks like, and so we're going to jump right into it. So what I would just say to you guys in the room right now, bring your Bibles and bring journals. If you don't have a journal, get one. If you need a journal, ask me. Take notes. This is stuff that is real that's happening in your guys' lives right now. And God wants to bring freedom to you. 
From there, we're going to go on to things like grace and truth. Um, we're going to look at things like the word, the church, words, actual words that we speak, actions, neighbors, parents, and family, all these little areas, and we're going to continue on and on. There will be more subjects because we have a lot of time to be able to dive into this. But I want you guys to know just the power of God's love. This is a sermon series we're starting and we're never finishing. I just want you guys to know that. I don't want you to ask when we're going to finish this because we're never going to finish it. You're never going to finish it. You're going to start it in your word. You're going to start it in prayer, and you're never going to finish it. You're always going to ask yourself, how am I doing with love? Which is the greatest question that you could ask yourself. You know, your relationship with Jesus isn't based on the absence or the presence of sin. Your relationship with Jesus is based on the absence or presence of his love. That's what your relationship is built on. No more thinking about the ways that we fall short because we got that. We get that. We get that. It's now about God's love. When you look at the rest of the scripture, if you want to look at verse 8, it says this. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. That's in reference to the first couple of verses that all these things, they're going to pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest one is love. The greatest indicator of what is God's love and what is not is this. God's love is eternal. Fake love doesn't last. It's temporary. Even if it seems like it fills you in that moment, even if it's filling you right now, it's not going to last. It's not going to make it. That's what it's talking about here. It says we, where there are prophecies, no matter what it may be, whether it's knowledge, those things, they're going to die off. There's going to be a day when we're not going to need any more knowledge because God's going to come back and redeem all things, and he's going to reveal everything. We're not going to need prophecy anymore because God's going to be here. We're not going to need faith anymore when God comes back because God's going to be in front of our face. We're not going to need hope anymore because hope has been fulfilled. But love, love is something we will always do. We will love now and we will love in the kingdom of God. We will always love one another. And you know what? The thing that we bring with us from this life, we don't bring anything into this life or out of this life. But what we do bring is this. We bring our love for the Lord, and we bring our love for others. Isn't that amazing to think that the relationships that we have with one another will continue on for eternity? And you're like, mm. But think about the love that we share and the power of that love. It's something that God wants us to always have. And when you enter into it, you never enter out of it. Not even death can stop that. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Amen? I'm going to call the worship team back up. You know, in verses 4 through verse 7, I want to reread it, but I'm going to, I want you guys to just, to listen to this. I'm going to replace the word love with God, and I want you guys to have an understanding of God's character, because a lot of the reasons why love is so hard is because of the way that we think God looks at us. That's where we're going to start this morning, because we're going to dive in, we're going to look at what love is, 
but it starts with you. This isn't, just a, this isn't just an informative series. This is a transformative series. We don't want you to be informed. We want you to be transformed by God's love. And so every time that we talk about God's love, we don't want you to go, man, that would be great for you. No, God wants to address you. This is for you. And oftentimes, I think the greatest thing that I hear from students and leaders is that God loves everyone except me. Except me. I have to be harder on myself. I just want to tell you right now this morning, that's wrong. That is not of God. God is patient. God is kind. God doesn't envy. God doesn't boast. And God's not proud. He doesn't dishonor others, and he's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Just take that this morning. He keeps no record of wrongs. So why do you? God doesn't delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. And God never fails. God never fails. If you go on to go ahead and just bow your head.